Welcome to Squire Radio. I'm Bo. And I'm John David. JD! Hey, Bo. Good afternoon, man. Good afternoon to you, too, sir. How are you doing today? Man, uh, doing pretty good. Yeah. 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 Feeling well rested and enjoying my coffee. Yeah. It's yeah. a beautiful day. Oh, yeah. man. It yeah, is a beautiful good. day. You know, I want you to really take in what you're experiencing right now. Like, look around. We've got, you know, to kind of paint a picture for our audience, we're sitting yeah. in a room with a pseudo panoramic view. I mean, like, it's it's, it's got, a corner room. It's a corner room. So we've got yeah. this beautiful, like, view of the, the water and the buildings and everything else. The time of day we're recording is right about midday, but there's clouds in the sky. Really take in yeah. the way the light bounces off the clouds. And off, like, all the different kind of colors popping from the palm trees beneath us and that sort of things. Because today we're going to be talking about the appreciation of color. And no, no, no. Think about it. Think about how beautiful that color is. Because it's going to come back into play later on in this episode. It's almost like artwork. That's right. It, it is it, almost it's, like it's, artwork. It's almost like artwork. <laughs> All right, man, we are doing our new series, our legendary series, talking about some legendary people. And right now we're continuing our look into legendary pipe smokers in particular uh, with uh, kind of our, our histories episodes, man. Yeah. Are, you, are you ready to get into it? I'm ready, man. Okay. I'm excited about this. I, I know you've kind of been chomping at the bit. Uh, I, I really have. Yeah. I, you know, okay, so we kind of mentioned last week that we had kind of some plans for the, you know, the episode. I was originally going to talk about Bonhoeffer and then yeah. really wanted to kind of pivot in and be like, you know what? No, let's, let's make sure that we are really kind of focusing in. You know, obviously we want to talk about in individuals from history that, you know, we, we would talk about like just over a pipe. Right. But we also, you know, want to make sure we're exhausting the world of pipe smokers themselves as well or people that are kind of connected to pipes and pipe tobacco and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we first talked about Van Gogh, which was introduced to us by one of our listeners who kind of recommended that, it kind of introduced this world that I don't think either of us, I know I hadn't, maybe you more so than me, of these painters from the mid to late 18th hundreds they were all chilling out redefining art and smoking pipes yeah and it's like there's this entire like subculture that they created they were they were like these innovators they were these rebels and you know aside from changing the world of art they were also enjoying their their pipes pipe tobacco and a couple of other you know frivolities around uh, <laughs> around such things as 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 they did that's true all right so we're gonna be talking about a pipe smoker today by name of Monet. But before we get into it, I want to thank you all, for those of you who are tuning in, especially those who are sponsoring this show and helping to make it happen over at patreon.com slash countrysquireradio. If you'd like to learn more how you can support the show, head over there, patreon.com slash countrysquireradio. All right, John David. Man, let's, let's Monet it up. You, you ready to Monet it well, up? I'm just trying to think of like things that I can say that rhyme with Monet. Oh. And that I, there's just not, I, I'm not, my brain's not working. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I don't have a whole lot to contribute, so I'm very I'm very excited. Well, so I wanted to ask you first, like, do you what is kind of your? Are you, you're not really an art connoisseur, I guess. I'm is really kind of the best not. You know, I guess I, I I mean I took you know a couple of like art appreciation classes in college. Did you really? Well, at Mississippi State, so it's like here's a cow patty. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is what the side of the milk carton looks like. Right. Um, <laughs> no, I, you know I I did. Is I, that Cletus? Sorry, I, <laughs> I enjoyed it. You know, but. It's just not something I'm super familiar with. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's funny. Actually, when we went to Houston not too long ago, there was a, a Picasso Calder exhibition. Wow. Did you okay. see that? No, I didn't. So Alexander Calder, great sculpturist, you know, sculptor of the 20th century. Yeah. And then, of course, Pablo Picasso, this, you know, 
professor, uh, I think, was tie- trying to tie some of their work together in a thematic way, and they had a lot of stuff there. And it, some of those pieces I had seen before, and some of them, I, I it was like, man, what, you know, you look at the artwork and you kind of turn your head different ways trying to make it work, and you're like... <laughs> glad someone gets it you know i'm glad i'm glad i'm glad there's someone out there that appreciates well so that's the thing right like the appreciation of what is art what like what makes art good i mean these are all highly subjective highly like argued it comes down to dollars and cents in terms of you know from a financial standpoint who's throwing like crazy amount of money yeah at any individual way but i really want us to kind of (laughs) cast our minds we we live in such a commodified world when it comes to media right like even right now this Mm -hmm. is a podcast people are consuming it all around the world wherever they want to at whatever time they choose and it's 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 kind of consumable and you move on right we we would not be looked at as creating art right now i would argue that there actually is some fact that we actually are creating art right now but like most of what's happening most of kind of what is created in form of our media is in this kind of disposable consumable right you, you get it you move on you watch a movie you eat your popcorn you you see a you know a, a images and marketing is kind of plastered everywhere and like mm-hmm. flashed real quick over screens and that sort of thing but if we cast our minds back to like the 1800s and what was being done in art specifically you got to think this is not painters who just had access to like paint shops on the corner they were like going out and getting berries and and herbs and like grinding them up to make their own paint their pigments and stuff they were essentially forging color to some extent right they were forging color and then plastering it onto the painting and then on top of that too they were redefining the world of painting and so that we're going to get into all of this through the lens of claude Mm, monet right So yeah. Claude Monet, let's let's cat let's take him back. 1840. All right, 1840. Okay. Claude Monet is born in Paris. That is Paris for those of you who are not as cla- <laughs> classy, classe, classy, classy, classy. Apolog- <laughs> I want to apologize to the people of France because I am going to butcher everything about your culture in this episode. All right. <laughs> Uh, Claude Monet. Uh, <laughs> this is the episode Bo wears his parade. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, I, you know what? Oh, for all of these painting ones, perhaps we need to bust I, out a parade. That's a good point. That seems yeah. appropriate. <laughs> uh, but no, he was, he was born in Paris. He absolutely loved art as yeah. a child. He actually grew up in a family of some uh, financial prominence. His father was a businessman and quite successful. And here he had this young boy who said, Daddy, Daddy, I want to be an artist. Except not with a British accent. Oh, with a, okay. With that a French a, accent. Right. Now, you'd think, French dad, my son wants to be an artist, cha-ching, I made it. Well, no, not so much. Right. He's looking at his kid, he's like, I'm sorry, we are French, but we are not that kind of French. I want you to be a businessman. <laughs> you know, like, he was very specific that he wanted his boy to grow up and be in business. He was not looking for an artist in the family. Right. Wait, I mean, modern day fathers, you know, have, have struggled with this, right? <laughs> I mean, right? Maybe even, our, maybe even our parents at some point have thought like, man, I, you know, want them to grow up and be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever it is, you know, go be a scientist or something. And it's like, nah, I'm going to, you know, study Pakistani basket weaving and, and make a right. career out of this. Right. And, and your dad's just kind of like, man, I've put you through years of private school. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so that's the thing, right? Like, so he, you know, Monet wanted to be an artist. He said, you know, you're going to, you know, stop with this art stuff. I'm going to yeah. make a man out of you. We're, we're going to sign you up for the military. All right. Like this is like standard Mississippi, yeah. you know, 18, you know, uh, in the eighties kind of dad, you right. know, kind of problematic father. Put figure. your paintbrushes up. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to send you to the, 
I'm going to send you to the, the military and I'm going to make a man out of you. And so Monet mm. is like, he's in the army. He's like, this is awful. I am straight up going to die because I don't want to be here. And, you know, guns and whatnot and military and we're kind of cannon fodder. So maybe not the military. Yeah. His fortunately for Monet, he's got a rich, rich aunt and his aunt is like, hey, Monet, I see that you don't want to die. I would prefer for you not to die as well. How about I buy your way out of the military? I'm going to write a check. They're going to let you off the hook. But if I do that, you have to go to art school. You have to go to like a legit Mm. art school where they are teaching art. You can't Mm. just like phone this thing in and do your doodles. Like Mm -hmm. if you want to do this, you go big or you go home. Or in this case, you go back to the military. So choice Mm. between likely dying in the military or art school, Monet chooses art school. Kind of. He chooses art school and then he gets there and realizes he hates it. So he drops out and goes to like a different, less prominent art situation. Oh, I know. But his aunt, and so his aunt's not exactly happy about that, but it is what it is. The thing is, the problem that he has with this kind of, you know, place of prominence where they're teaching all this art is they're all teaching like Renaissance art. They're teaching, you know, like, like 30 naked dudes and like all of these like Greek gods, you know, (laughs) like that was the style. They were like, you see this? This is art. All right, we got 30 naked dudes right here. We've got 30 naked dudes right here. I'm Russian all of a sudden. I don't know why. That has nothing to do with the story. (laughs) Point is, they got like all these naked dudes all over the place. And they're like, this is art, right? Right. This is art. Well, and and he was envisioning, I'm assuming, something else. Not just that. He like that. It's it's not just that he had a vision of what he wanted to do. He just knew that like it was like art in a box. I think most anybody who's kind of artistically inclined when you kind of go through that process of trying to identify the kind of thing you want to create Mm -hmm. and you go and you learn those fundamentals at some point in that fundamental process, you realize that it's kind of putting you into a little bit of a box. Mm -hmm. You're not trying to just, you know, recreate the same thing over and over again. That's really not an artist. That's a copier. You know what I mean? Like that's just, right. There's not a lot of, you know, more that you can value in that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so Monet and a lot of kind of these other creatives really kind of decided they wanted to kind of push the envelope. They wanted to do something totally different. Hmm. Think about this. Okay, you go through the Vatican, you see all this like Vatican art. Again, like 20 naked dudes all over the place, right? Right. That was what we think about and that was what everybody thought about. (laughs) All right, but if you look at those pictures, like it's, it's just like people. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's all people. Like it's, it's a lot of flesh and it's just all people. Right. You don't really see the brush strokes. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like you don't really see. Just like the medium is more in the background or not even observed. It's more just the, the art is not the point. It's almost just trying to capture a photo. Yeah. And capture, capture a. An image. Yeah, and I mean, like, highly symbolic, right? Because, like, you typically have, like, light and darkness at play yeah. with each other and that sort of thing. Or, yeah. or you know, it was a lot of, like, you know, the the evil darkness, sin of the world, and the holy angelic you right. know, light from above, and, again, right. 30 naked dudes. Ap- apocalyptic, though. Very apocalyptic. You know, yeah. yeah. And so that was, that was kind of all at play right there, but there wasn't really an appreciation of color yeah of like you know the of the brush strokes of kind of like the components that make up the the image and that's where you've got somebody like Monet coming in and they totally changed the game man in 1865 he gains notoriety at and I apologize to our our French listeners the Chalet or Chalot in Paris in Paris <laughs> 
they put together this art exhibit and it kind of gets everybody's attention and they realize like, wow, this is, this is pretty fantastic. In fact, Monet specifically gets attention because as stories go, he lied about some of his artwork and said that he painted it in a day and people were looking at like, how did you paint that in a day? Wow. And he's like, I did. Yeah, I totally, I I did. Yeah, I, I did. Totally. And so he, like, people were talking about it, and they were all looking at this image that he painted. Now, he didn't do he that. He didn't paint it in a day, right? <laughs> but, but one way or the other, suddenly people are talking about him, and, and it kind of puts him a little bit on the map, on the kind of Paris art scene. Hmm. Now, this is helpful, because, you know, if you're out there, you're, you're wanting to kind of get some things to paint, right? I mean, we think about Monet, and a lot of times we think about kind of these, you know, haystacks and kind of his garden, and, and that kind of comes later in life. But early on, you know, he's an artist, and you know... Artists like to paint people. They do. And whilst, you know, many artists of that he had, he was kind of studying when he was in that prominent school. It's always about naked dudes all over the place. Right. He, he kind of wanted to paint a lady. Yeah. So he was looking for a lady friend. He wanted a lady model friend. Did and, he find one? Oh, in walks Camille. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know how it is. There she is. There she is with her umbrella and her big dress, and it's all, you know, ploofy <laughs> and everything else. And, you know, you think about a lot of like uh, famous pictures from Monet, like the women specifically yeah. when they pop up. This is Camille. This was uh, his model. Um, he was, gosh, let's see, if he was born in 1840 and this was somewhere in the 1860s, he would have been about somewhere in his mid twenties, mid twenties. Yeah. Uh, Camille was in uh, around 18. So he's mid twenties, 18, not nothing too terribly scandalous about this. I mean, he was the painter. She was the model. They fall in love. Their relationship was not popular. For one thing, mm. you know, again, we've got this artist in the family that, you know, Papa Monet never really wanted. Right. And now on top of that, he's like dating this model and her family isn't too thrilled about it because she's 18 and she's dating this 20 year old painter. <laughs> and everybody's like, what are you doing with Can't your you life? Can't you go date a doctor or something? It's terrible. Yeah. yeah like they have absolutely no support on either side of his family. Dating a tobacconist. Right? <laughs> Really shameful. But yeah. see, this is the thing, though. They absolutely loved each other. Yeah. They absolutely loved each other. They a, their first child was born in 1867. And, you know, this is kind of a really important time in Monet's life. Because at this point, he's got, you know, he, he's not, they're not necessarily married, but they kind of have a common law type situation going on. Okay. They're, they're starting to kind of form their family. Monet also starts assembling his crew, right? So he's got all these other French painters and sculptors are all kind of coming together. Hmm. And they form this group that they call the Anonymous Society of Painters, Sculptors, and Printmakers. And this is where they are really kind of exposing their new form of art mm-hmm. to the world. So mm-hmm. as opposed to like before, where he was kind of gaining some notoriety here, there, and everywhere, and kind of saying like, yeah, my technique is crazy, I can paint in a day, and everybody's like, no, you can't. Right. And then like later, jump ahead to the future, Bob Ross comes out and he's like, actually, you know what? Those happy little trees can pop up in five minutes if you I want can them to. Paint, yeah. <laughs> A day? I've got you in 20 minutes. I got you. I got got it down to a cool 25 minutes. (laughs) That's a terrible Bob Ross, by the way. That's funny. But regardless, now we actually have a group of these guys, and they're all coming in. They put forth this really kind of radical exhibit with all of their paintings. Now, we say say radical, and we think like crazy stuff that like- Offensive. Offensive. Right, right. And you have to understand, these are what you think of today as classic paintings, but to that time and place- It was- was off the wall completely changed the game people had never seen anything like this and in fact people didn't even know what to do with it one critic in particular was looking at the work and saying that this isn't really a painting this isn't really an image it's only 
an impression of one. Mm. Not knowing that they just coined they the just phrase, coined it. right? That yeah. would completely define an era, right? So in a mat- like in a moment of criticism, <laughs> it allowed for the the language Gave to be applied, identity, yeah, yeah, that it adopted. Interesting, yeah. So we have we so now we enter into this impressionistic age of art, and Monet is one of kind of the titans in this space. It's about what I say, 1874. Things are going pretty well. There's another thing you need to know about Monet. He was about that. He was about that Camille, right? So right. He, he loved his lady. You know what Monet was also about? He was also about that Monet. Oh, the, the money. <laughs> so this is, you know, like, all right. So we go back to Papa Monet. I don't want an artist in the family. I want a businessman. Yeah, sure. So whilst again, you know, that to us that kind of conjures up perhaps maybe some frustrating images of you know kind of a, a certain era of father, especially in kind of the you know, a classic Americana and that sort right. of thing. Right. But there is some value that I think we need to pull from that, which is like, you can be an artist, but you got to be a businessman. You can you got- still be responsible. Right. Well, yeah. you got to make money. Like, like yeah, sure. there's nothing wrong with being an artist. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being an artist. But if you want to do that as your main gig, it's got to pay. And yeah. you got to eat, you know, you got to eat. Monet had absolutely no problem whatsoever like being the most expensive art yeah. on the block. Like he he wasn't yeah. trying to like, you know, some starving artists, they're just like, they'll lower their prices down just to get any kind of thing and they'll devalue the work they're doing. Right. And, not, and I mean, like I think about content people, creators in the modern context. Yeah. I mean, some, some people have to do that just to get in front of folks, but then it's like, well, what do you, what, just go do something else, you know, it, I, it's, it's all, it's hard. That's hard. It's no, it hard, is hard, hard, hard. It is. And it's absolutely hard. But I mean, like I think about like a lot of people who work in like, like even now in content creators and that yeah. sort of thing, you know, people really undersell themselves, which is not great because it devalues the work that we all do for yeah, one thing. True. Yeah. And you know, the, I think there's this approach of recognizing the premium value that you, that you actually offer. Mm-hmm. Monet was aware of the premium value that mm-hmm. he was offering to the art community and to what his paintings were, you know, Mm-hmm. Were, were valued at and so he was very very good about making sure like yeah no it's that price and you can pay me or you can't and somebody else yeah will. and i'll go do it somewhere else and yeah. that's honestly i love that kind of attitude yeah. man like yeah, yeah. I, I feel like more artists who are typically this just the self-deprecate you know like just completely like tearing themselves apart and like devaluing right. themselves and everything else when i was like uh-uh I'm, I'm, I'm freaking Claude Monet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Best pay that Monet. It's there in the name. Kind of. Ish. Yeah. So anyway, um, so things are going well until 1878 where tragedy strikes and Camille tragically uh, dies. There, this is where we enter into one of probably his most controversial pieces. Yeah. Now the story goes, and there's different kind of stories surrounding this. But the story goes, he's at her deathbed. She passes away. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, she dies right there. And what he does is he locks the door and he paints her portrait there on her deathbed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, before kind of bringing everybody else in. And mm. so there's, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing because like, I think mm. it's, it's his last goodbye, his last attempt to kind of capture her in that moment. Wow. And kind of make a dedication to her and, and almost, you know, in, in some kind of form or fashion, almost like a, a last moment of love between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he's just kind of like pouring out in those last moments. A goodbye kiss, a goodbye. Exactly. Just, yeah, trying to capture that. Yeah. You know, so tragically she passes quite young. But Moanet goes on and lives a pretty full and uh, if not sometimes very frustrating uh, life ahead of him. Mm-hmm. He has some great success with his paintings, although like most of the artists of his era, they're nowhere near as popular as they are post-mortem and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But because of where France was in kind of the late 19, or rather, uh, if we kind of 
look ahead to the uh, the the 1900s, the early 1900s. Right. Uh, France was in a place where it really needed to kind of like up its art game. There was kind of this desire to kind of get away from kind of war memorial type pieces mm-hmm. and kind of depressing and really showcase to the world the beauty that France has to offer. Right. And so there's like a desire to kind of invest in the arts. Now, in around 1893, Monet starts kind of landing in what is kind of his uh, his famed home. And here is where he really gets into gardening and starts kind of putting together uh, his garden. Now, again, you think about Monet and most people who have kind of a general concept of his artwork, you think about like, again, haystacks and flowers and gardens and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The garden was a place where Monet really found a lot of peace. And it's also where he really honed this technique where not only would he paint things that he saw, he would paint them at different times of day. So as opposed to constantly going out and finding new subjects, he would paint the same types of subjects, but in other under different weather conditions. Wow. And again, we think this is like, whatever, that doesn't seem like that big a deal. You got to think like, we're not snapping pictures on Insta on phone snaps and yeah. whatnot. Like this is not that era. Like, and it's not easy. I mean, it, it, none of this is easy. Exactly. Right. And it requires a, an aggressive command of color. Mm-hmm. to do that because mm-hmm. it's not just you're painting a shape you're you're really trying to communicate like the time of day you're in and then like what that is right. that's why like when i started this episode i was like we need to look around for the moment and really take in the panoramic view that I, I, knew, I knew what you were doing right yeah because like <laughs> this is what monet was about he was about kind of bringing forth the color yeah. that existed like throughout the natural course of a day hmm so there in his garden is really kind of where he he found his inspiration and and you know some of his great works kind of came from. There is tragedy that starts kind of sinking in yet again around the nineteen tweens, tweens, teens, teens, teens. <laughs> Wait, what are the tweens? I I don't think that's a thing. No, that's the thing with kids, right? It they, shouldn't be. But it's like the the kids are the tweens or something like that. They're like between something. I don't know. Anyway, point is in the teens, the nineteen teens, something starts happening people start noticing his paintings seem a little off. Hmm. Uh, they're, they're a little bit more red than they were before. Like, and, and there's kind of a question of like, is this a choice? What is, what is he doing? This is a little different, which was wild because at that point in time, people were doing different things in art. In fact, he was no longer really seen as the radical artist that he was in his youth. Like he was still kind of like rocking that impressionistic vibe and people like, we're kind of moving on to this like new futurism type stuff. And, right. He just wasn't with that. And so this tends to be the case with a lot of people that are like game changers. They kind of radically change the course of history. It's amazing for that time. But then when the course of history gets changed again, they're kind of seen as old news. Right. And, you know, as fast as kind of trends come and go, we see that ramped up like massively in our time. Yeah. That was still the case in his as well. Mm -hmm. But he loved what he did and he was still celebrated for kind of being that impressionistic artist, which is why people started to notice things were a little bit off Hmm. and not necessarily in kind of like this new age type of approach, but something is off. Something's different. Yeah. He he had developed cataracts. It was, I I was about to say it must've been some type of eyesight thing and the cataracts obviously would, would do that. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to think of this is somebody who, again, just a pioneer of just expressing color, Mm -hmm. just a love and a devotion of kind of color and the way in which it was used. You, you think about his paintings 
And like, as you get like the closer into them you get, they just look like brush strokes and like weird brush strokes mm-hmm. too. Like, why is that red there? This mm-hmm. is like, you know, why is that red there in the midst of this like yellow green? And there's a swash of blue, like right. Th- that, that makes no sense. But then as you pull back and you see everything kind of interwoven together, it's the way that a lot of times, I mean, not to, you know, get too spiritual, but it's, it's a lot of times the way I kind of see like the inner workings of God, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've got kind of the, these, these, we all kind of exist in these like little threads that like don't really make sense in the moment. But if you pull back the tapestry to the larger picture mm-hmm. that one day I pray we get a chance to see what was being woven and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. and our thread made sense in the in the midst of that tapestry. In the midst of all of it. Yeah. That's what his brushstrokes are. Mm-hmm. You know, if you kind of think about him as God in that, that way, all of these little brushstrokes that individually seem to have no purpose. If you pull back, I mean, they're gorgeous and they, the picture makes sense in, in a really just amazing way. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's, he's struggling with these cataracts. And so he's already kind of experimented a lot with large canvases and that sort of thing. He does have an operation that helps him, but he's needing to kind of counterbalance this. And so he's kind of like throwing more blues and yellows to try to like, you know, get to where he needs to be and to offset it. And I think in trying to overcome this struggle, some of his masterpieces are really created. Some people argued that it was because of this, that he had like the supernatural ability to see ultraviolet light. (laughs) That's probably not true. I don't think he was a mutant, but (laughs) right. Right. You know, I mean, that's, there was a school of thought that believes that. So I just thought I'd throw that in. So you know, what he ends up doing mostly though, is he just paints on extremely large canvases. Now we're getting close to the end of his life and around again, let's see the, somewhere kind of in the late teens, the French government goes to Monet and they're like, you know, as I mentioned, Hey, you know, people think about us and they think of war because I guess France back then. Yeah. And, and right we, now we need like, to up our game, we need to up our game. We need to actually be like, we want them to think, we want them to look at France <laughs> and we want them to see and see how artistic we can be. And uh, so they go to Monet, and they've got this big circular room. We want them to think of cheese and wine. No, 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 no. We want them to think of pants and love and wine. You know, like all that. Uh, (laughs) And again, we apologize to our French listeners. Yeah, there's no apology. So they, they commission him to create these kind of like six curved paintings that will exist in this curved display case, right? And these things are massive. Probably... Maybe not as like large as the the size of the walls of the room that we're kind of in, but like kind of wall sized, yeah, right? Sure, uh, or small wall sized, and they're going to exist in this literal panoramic view painted on a curved canvas, which mm-hmm. seems bizarre, mm-hmm. you know. But it's it's literally tailored to this this exhibit room that it's going to be in, mm-hmm. and it is here that Monet creates what arguably is his most celebrated work, which is the water lilies. Mm, mm. And the way in which he paints this is kind of encapsulating everything that he's ever done before in that he's painting outside, which is something that he loved to do. He's, he's painting at various times of day. He's painting on these massive canvases. And again, he's just every single brush stroke, every single color that's there has a purpose. Has meaning. And yeah. it all pulls back. And if you kind of go around the room, you can almost see the transition of day that's occurring across this massive painting. Yeah. Now, the French government was like, Monet, what are you doing? We have commissioned this and we kind of need to put it up here. We've got this blank wall and people don't like blank walls. We're trying to... <laughs> and Monet was not doing that. He was not having that. He was like, 
guys, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not done. I just, right. It's a big, it's a big painting. Give me some time. Yeah. And so like, I got, you know, so they, they go over and they go, no, Monet, we can see the paintings right there. They are done. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm still like, he was still touching up. He's just never satisfied, never satisfied with this thing. In fact, it's arguable that it perhaps he never got satisfied with this thing yeah, because yeah. in 1926, he died at the age of 86 mm. before the water lilies were uh, available to the public mm-hmm. and they were available just the very next year. So they, you know, it was kind of, you know, rolled out and of course, widely celebrated again as one of his most masterpieces. Yeah. yeah. Just, just his, mm-hmm. his magnum opus in many, in many cases. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah, Simone, man, he was, he was a rock star of the era. And like I said, one of the great things about these guys is they were changing the game of art. They were changing the game of, of really their kind of their, their nation and their country. And, you know, we talked about when Van Gogh went over and everything is like, no, Paris is the place you got to be. Cause this is why Van Gogh wanted a taste of that. Right. Different mindset, different like mental health Van Gogh versus somebody like Monet who, right. again, he came from a kind of a privileged background. He had that money, even though he didn't have the support of his dad. He had a rich aunt. I'll tell you what, he did, and he was. We could all use a rich aunt every now and again. Was, that's right. <laughs> but he, he was confident and aggressive, and you know, inspiring and all that. Exactly, yeah. mm-hmm. exactly. And so, and had better luck with the ladies than Van Gogh. Apparently, from standpoint yeah. too. But yeah, but on top of that, like I said, they're all over here. They're changing the game with color. They're kicking back. They are having their wine, and they are also enjoying some pipe smoke. <laughs> Monet is often frequently seen in uh, in portraits, you know, sm- you know, contemplatively smoking a pipe. I'm curious, man, what have, what have you kind of observed about like you know seeing Monet with his pipe? Well, the most famous portrait of him, you know, obviously he's got this kind of pensive look as he's reading maybe a newspaper or some work. His arm is kind of draped over the back of a chair, and to be honest, it almost looks like a meerschaum pipe, something that uh, you know is. Uh, um, you know, meerschaum or clay, something that uh, has a kind of a lighter hue to it. You know, it's a bearded image and, you know, he's got a, a, a you know, bowl full of uh, some kind of delicious pipe weed. And um, yeah, he's just I, going to town. So I don't know. I don't, I, you know, there's not really anything to be said about what he might have smoked or, you know, what his tobacco preferences were or anything like that. But um, certainly he was a partaker and, you know, in, in this particular image, it almost looks like, uh, you know, like I said, like a clay or a meerschaum pipe, which, you know, frankly, if we're talking about, you know, mid to late 1800s, it's, you know, very possible. So. All right. Well, there yep. you go, man. Claude Monet. Did you learn something? That was great. I did. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I, did. I always love these episodes because I try to really make sure that people are clear. Like this is, again, uh, you know, kids, if you're trying to like pass your, you know, uh, cultural exam for whatever. It's not the podcast. This is not the podcast. Right. <laughs> this is what you listen to after the fact. You know what? It's like it's like the Family Guy episodes where they do classic literature. You don't go based off of those episodes for your Great Gatsby episode, uh, uh, essay, right? You go, right. you go watch the Great Gatsby movie with the, uh, you know, T- Topher Grace and no, wait, not Topher Grace, Toby Maguire and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, right? And right. then you write your book report, and then you watch the. Family and then were you ready episode. to be silly afterwards? You, you know, yeah. yeah. No, it, it's neat, you know, just kind of looking at um at some of these pieces as we're sitting here chatting. I, I've I've familiar with some of these pieces, but I honestly oh, yeah. did not know that they were Monet, and so it's neat to to put a faces with names. This uh, initial impression, sunrise that got the boats over this water, some type of it's probably the Seine River that he's got this artistic impression and uh, it's just so iconic and, and, you know, folks kind of, you know, if they forget or just don't know that, Oh wow, that, that was my moment. Yeah, so anyway, really, really neat. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, hey, man, you know, one of the great things about this is I feel like we're kind of able to offer up some kind of, uh, you know, little little trivia nuggets here. Maybe they'll yeah. come into play at some point. And speaking of playing around with trivia, our friends at Missouri Mearsham have got a fun thing going on every single Tuesday. Cobb Tuesdays, man, if you go to their Facebook page now for the next several weeks, uh, they are doing a trivia question on Cobb Tuesdays. So every Tuesday, you'll want to go to Missouri Mearsham's Facebook page. Uh, they're going to have some type of question for you to interact with. Uh, and then they're going to pick a winner from all the folks that have, you know, participated. They'll pick the winner on Wednesday. That person will win a gift card or gift certificate to Missouri Mearsham's website, where you can redeem it for pipes, apparel, uh, tobacco, all kinds of all kinds of fun goodies. So anyway, go check it out. Be sure to uh, like Missouri Mearsham on Facebook. Follow them on Instagram. But every Tuesday for the next several weeks, be sure to go to Missouri Mearsham's Facebook page and participate in the Cobb Tuesday Question of the Week. And thanks to our friends at Missouri Mearsham for sponsoring this show. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pipe question of the week. Right. Pipe question of the week is coming in from Joel. He says, hey guys, first off, I love the Father to Father series, especially the most recent one. Thanks for being honest and vulnerable and telling it how it is for all of us dads. Next, I bought a nice pipe rack from a seller on eBay and it came with a bunch of pipes. Two of these are EA Carry Magic Inch pipes. Oh boy. Yep. They have a perforated area on the stem that lets in cool air and they take a papyrus paper filler. It's really strange, but I have to say both of these pipes smoke really well. After I clean them up and sterilize them, I have really enjoyed them. Just wondering if John David had any experience with these pipes. Any road, uh, as always, absolutely love your podcast, like riding around with the two good friends. Thanks, uh, Thank you. And again, that is from Joel. 
yeah, Joel, man, thank you so much for for tuning in, and we're glad you, uh, man, glad you found us and and are enjoying um, enjoying the show, and uh, certainly the father to father stuff, which for Bo and me have been has become um, no, therapeutic, pretty special. So yeah, so uh, Magic Inch Pipes. Uh, let's talk about Magic Inch Pipes. This might need its own episode at some point. But E. A. Carey, historic tobacconist. Uh, where is E. A. Carey? I think there's somewhere in. Ohio, if I'm remembering right, uh, Midwest, maybe Indiana, somewhere up in that neck of the woods. And EA Carey has had their own branded pipes now for decades. You know, they still a tobacconist. You can, you know, go there right now and order tobacco from their website, uh, some of their own blends that they make. But they also have these pipes that are branded with their name that has this unique technology, I guess. It's a, it's kind of a cross between a the the pipe in order to <laughs> let, let let's let's just be honest like you back up from the 20th century and you look at the history of pipe making industrial pipe making in the 20th century everyone at some point has had their little gimmick on how to get around either a wet smoke uh-huh. or a hot smoke or tongue bite like th- th- there's there's been something introduced at all the stages of like okay how do you make the pipe smoke cooler and not burn your tongue right and so you know you've got the p lip that was introduced and you've got kirsten pipes with their radiator concept and you've <laughs> right, got right, right. you know and you got the but you know balsa filters from you know folks like savinelli charcoal filters and you know let's remove as much of the moisture as we as we can and it's and on you, on. you would qualify all of this as gimmicky, not really like technological I, I, advancements. I, I, I say that I, it's, I, that's not fair because some people really do swear by this stuff. You know, for me, it it <laughs> to 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 be on Team Herman G Lane. It's you know, for me, it's like, well, if you're smoking it properly and you're smoking good tobacco, you don't really need all that stuff. Mm, but like mm-hmm. at the same time, some people just really appreciate these you know devices and contraptions that have helped to mitigate moisture in pipes or you know in order to help the pipe cool down more or whatever and so i'm i'm not i don't want to say that it all is but it, to some degree everybody has tried their you know trick in the 20th century on how do we make the pipe smoke cooler right and so ea carey came out with this patented thing it's got this little radiator deal on the side it's a, the magic inch it's it's like this little grill, almost like the grill on the front of your car. Yeah. That just lets air in and out and kind of permeate. So in, in some sense, it works almost like a calabash. It just lets fresh air come into the air pathway after the smoke is pulled from the bowl. And then there's this paper filter that's in there to, I guess, you know, remove some moisture as well. The reason I'm familiar with these pipes is that you see a bunch of them on the estate market. And EA Carry pipes, if they have been on the estate market, if they're at a thrift store, you know, flea market, something like that, typically most of them have not been cared for and they are a real pain to clean up. And so just the fact that Joel has taken the time to clean these EA Carry pipes and make them smokable. That's a big deal. Like, man, Joel, you probably, I mean, you, you, it probably took you some work to get all those little innards inside the uh, the stem and that little magic inch mechanism that are on that pipe. You know, it probably took you some time to to get that to, to operate correctly. You know, so anyway, very familiar with them. Uh, see them occasionally. You know, when I am offered to, to purchase one, maybe on the estate market, and I'm thinking, ah, 
I just, I know that pipe is going to take a long time to clean up, you know, and even then it doesn't, it has a limited market. So a lot of times I, I don't, you know, choose to pursue those pipes, but I'm glad to know that you found one and you like it and it's been a good fit for you. And it just goes to show you, like for me, I, you know, I, I just have never taken necessarily to some of those things in a episode, not all that long ago, we talked about Mrs. Reeves that hired me, she said, if you ever find metal in a pipe where they've got some kind of condenser in there, you know, just throw it out, you know, just, just don't, just get rid of it. Don't even, you know, don't, don't even put that on the shelf kind of thing. And, <laughs> um, you know, and so that's, that's where I tend to be a little more uh, on that camp, but I, I know that, uh, you know, some folks really, uh, do appreciate those. So EA Carey still makes those pipes still, uh, in business. You can go there, like I said, and, and order a, a magic inch pipe today and, uh, the little replacement filters for their Pappy Wright paper filter and, and all that kind of stuff. So replacement stems and, and everything. Check them out. If you're not familiar with them, you really should go and, and see what they're all about. Obviously they've been really popular in the second half of, of, uh, of the 20th century. Well, there you go, man. Great question from Joel. And hey, if you've got a pipe question of the week for us, send it into the show. That's show at countrysquireradio.com. Your thoughts, your comments, listener feedback. Listener feedback. <laughs> this one's coming in from Chaz. All right, here's what Chaz had to say. I just received my order of whale song. Okay, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I bet there's a lot of people who are mad we didn't talk about this last week. We're yeah. going to talk about it this week. Yeah. Uh, I just received my order of whale song in the mail today. And I have to say, it was a world class unboxing experience. I've gotten several orders from the Country Squire and I always appreciate the handwritten note, but today's delivery was truly exceptional. The accompanying card with the tasting notes, pairings from tea to coffee to cocktails was really helpful and next level touch. Congrats to Quinn. I purchased enough to smoke now with some cellar and I can't wait to enjoy this. I love the show. I love the shop. And I have to tell you, listening has even been a catalyst to reconnecting me to my faith. I love that you can listen to your show without fear of what might come across uh, the speakers with the grandkids and uh, when the grandkids are in the car, keep up the great work and thanks for making this service available. And again, that is coming in from Chaz. Well, re- really, really kind Chaz. Thank you for that. We're glad you found us and, you know, enjoy the show and, um, you know, feel comfortable to, to have us around the kiddos. Um, yeah, yeah, we need to talk about whale song, man. Yeah, but let's talk about whale song. So, okay. so whale song, this came out of the blue. We didn't, we didn't tease this at all. But this was a work in progress for several months that, as you know, Quinn Crawford, a, a newer employee at the Squire, hasn't been with the shop for quite a year, but he's he's smoked a pipe for several years and uh, has just become very, just taken to this profession very naturally and is incredibly gifted. I'm really, really proud, proud of Quinn. You've really taken on Quinn. Um, like we always joke about the intern and everything, but I've noticed you've really kind of taken him on as an apprentice in kind of a, a special way. He, he, he's, he's the future, you know, he, yeah. he really is. Huh. Yeah. I, I, we, th- this is not quick Quinn Quinn's it really everybody that works at the country squire right now are, these are not people that are, on their way to something else. Right. They want to make this a career. Right. We're talking about like professional tobacconists. Right, right, right. And when you're dealing with that kind of person, when you can walk in and, I mean, obviously we've had incredible employees that have made a pit stop at the Squire along the way on their way to, you know, grad school or, you know, whatever their real job, quote unquote, is. <laughs> well, that was you, right? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. And, and look at me now, you know. Right. But when you when you find people that, 
you know, they're there because that's what they want to do. It changes the dynamic. It yeah. changes how you interact with them as a as a professional. And, and and professional development, professional investment is really it really is more meaningful, you know. It mm. it, it really is. And so yeah. I, I've just been very proud of uh, I've been proud of Quinn and Dominique and JD and Anu and all, all the professional tobacconists at at the Country Squire. These are just really um really hardworking people. But uh but anyway, we um when when McClelland closed several years ago, we were left with a smattering of very random McClelland tobaccos. They're just kind of what you had left over. They're just what we had left. Right. And it wasn't enough to make this blend with, and it wasn't enough to make that blend the with. The classic stuff, right. That that we had made our recipes that we had. Right. But it was it was raw leaf from McClellan that we but and it was like a bunch of it. Yeah. But it was random stuff. And it's like, what do we do with this? And so I just cared we cared for it for years, just kind of not really having a plan for it. And um <laughs> Quinn is Did Russ know that you had this? He did. Okay. I, well, I, th- I think he did. I think okay. he did. And Quinn eventually uh, started organizing. I just want to know, like, when the emails start coming in, like, yeah. you lie! Yeah, no, <laughs> and and it, that's the thing. It wasn't, I mean, it was just, it wasn't enough to make any of this or that. It right. Was just, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, this smattering of You know, Russ doesn't care. He's tobacco. just like, I'll take it. I'll take it no, straight. No, that's <laughs> it. I'll take that pure, uncut McKell- that's, McClellan right That's there. exactly, I mean, he's clawing his eyeballs out right now as he's uh, listening. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, and so anyway, Quinn, as he had some extra time, just started tinkering with some of this stuff and started developing a really great Virginia Perique. Mm. And it was, uh, it, I was just really impressed. We went back and forth on a few iterations and, uh, you know, experimented some with moisture content and aging and uh, pressing and, and, and eventually uh, landed right where just right where we did, which is something very, very impressive. And, and it, this is one of the, more. It's gone, y'all. It's gone. It's he, all he gone. He hasn't said. He hasn't said it yet, but it's gone. It's all gone. Like, like <laughs> it came out. We put it on the website. There were four hundred and fifty-two ounce bags of this tobacco. It was gone in forty-five minutes. Yeah, I was about to say you sold out faster than Taylor Swift. It that, was, like, you're, you're, <laughs> like, like, no, like it was gone. It, gone. it, it, it was gone, and and so it, it it's hard. But but it's it it it's really special. It, it yeah. was one of the more interesting projects I've gotten to work on in this industry because Man. we took some legacy tobacco. Frankly, we took we took probably the most valuable leaf in our cellar and we chose to spend it. We yeah. we we had these chips built up and we were like, okay, time to kind Now's of the time. time. But but if we did it, we're gonna do it right. Right. And so I encouraged Quinn to kind of think about the um, you know, the packaging and the and he and he he's so good at this. He already kind of had some of that in his mind anyway. And so you know, we thought about the uh, narrative we were trying to tell. Quinn even wrote a poem, which was included in the packaging. Wow. Was very yeah, well this done. Is, yeah. Very, very thoughtful. And so just really proud of how... This reminds me of like that gold brick tobacco, except... Yeah. Yeah. Worth, worth it? Is it? Uh, you know, that... Uh, <laughs> with no disrespect. <laughs> right. No disrespect. To said gold brick tobacco maker. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it really... We were um, we're just yeah. really proud of, of how it came out. And... Um, okay. Anyway. Yeah. So, buddy. Old pal. Knowing that you'd be seeing me. <laughs> I didn't bring you any. Dang God. I'm sorry. Dang, why did I even come here? I'm are you sorry, serious? man. I know you. Y'all, he didn't. All right. So that's the thing. I know y'all are mad. I know y'all are mad. I'm. I'm now mad with you. I wasn't until just this moment. But, <laughs> but just hear hear what John David just said. Share your anger. He didn't even bring one of my me close, any. One of my closest friends, like 
co-collaborator on this. Uh, I got the email the same time everybody else yeah. did, and it was sold out by the time I looked at the website, just like it was for everybody else. And this man didn't even bring me. You did? Are you saying you didn't bring me any? Because it's the podcast. You want to make people mad, or did you really not bring me any? No, I, I didn't bring you any. Why did I even come to Miami? Okay, fair enough. I can't. Uh, <laughs> uh, I oh, have, I have. Well, I, I thought this was going to have a happy ending for at least one person. At least one person. <laughs> I, I have a I have a two ounce pouch of this tobacco sitting on my desk right now, um, and that's all I have. And so, uh, I, but Bo, I will be glad to share a pinch of. Uh, I, was, I was about to say, I, I hear that you have a one point eight ounce uh, right, exactly, on right, your- <laughs> right. Yeah, you got to break me off a piece of that. I'm gonna weigh it. uh, I'm gonna weigh it when I get home and make sure it's still two ounces. Yeah, um, son of a. Okay, yes, please. (laughs) But um, but yeah, really. Anyway, so we were we we put some extra effort into the packaging. If he does, y'all, I will smoke it on camera. No, hang on. I'm holding you accountable to this. I'll take a pinch, and if you send it, I'm gonna do it on video. I'm gonna I'm gonna share it with everybody, and I'll I will I will just 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 to make them angry. Yeah, of course. Even more angry. Well, see, I want it to be on the side of the people that had it, not the side of the people jilted. <laughs> now you're angry like a stuck pig like the you know yeah well that's what it is it's always like ah we hate you you've done this and then you get some of that action you're like yeah i mean like sorry guys this was uh yeah, it sucks yeah, for y'all really yeah. bad. <laughs> so anyway we you know it, it was it was hard of course you, you guys you know if you've listened and and followed you know me in our shop long enough you know that i'm uh, constantly underselling I, I guess our our business and part of that's just my aw shucks you know country boy kind of nature I guess but you know every time we come out with a project like this I'm always shocked that everybody else gobbles it up right I mean I you know and so we 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 put it out and are like man I you know we hope it does well we hope we're not sitting on it a long time and and all that and it was um you know it was all it was all gone so um we're, we're very thankful for that hope people enjoy it yeah, it was just something interesting. It's a one-time deal that, um, you know, obviously we can't make again, but I was really proud of um, of how it came off and, you know, hope for hope for some opportunities in the future for, you know, anytime as I, I'm thinking about it even right now, you know, when Mike McNeil himself, when he would get his hands on really good leaf that he thought he could do something interesting with, he put it back, you know? Right. And, he, and he'd sit on it and he'd wait for that right opportunity to create something, you know? And that's how the different iterations of Christmas cheer really were developed is that, you know, he would go out and find these specific, you know, batches or vintages of, of these, these products and then make something special out of them uh, when the time was right. And so, you know, this is a very small, small version of that, at least in our universe and um and you know you never know what the future holds so but anyway we're we're, we're glad it glad it got done and no bo i don't have any for you <laughs> you said a pinch we all heard you say a pinch we're gonna hold you accountable to that uh y'all um uh, <laughs> this is uh always always fun to uh get on the mic with you buddy and uh, talk about things uh no i'm i will say though that uh it was uh it was exciting to see when that that dropped and everything else and yeah i i could i felt instantly i was like ooh, that's gonna be gone quick and people are not gonna be like it's one of those deals where there's just a, it's like a it's like a gold rush man and i mean like it's just un it's unlike and what anything do you else. do like uh, you know so for instance we dropped a tobacco in january called murkwood which is a it's a it's an iteration of old toby that's right. less sweet and less wet right and it's really good and it's yeah. it's something that is a if you're a non-aromatic smoker and you want something that's not going to gunk up your pipe but still have an interesting pleasing room note earthiness the perique really shines it's it's great but we we could only make a limited amount of it because we're a small shop and our press is only so big and we just only have so much bandwidth, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we put it out and we limit it to one a person, 
Well, people get upset that we limit it to one a person. Right, but it's like, right, well, if we yeah. didn't do that, then not nobody, everybody yeah, would get it. Would get it. So we then come Russ out, would buy it all. Come on. So we come out with whale. Right. <laughs> well, not for that, but yeah. We come out with whale song, and it's like, well, we'll limit it to three a person. Right, right, You know, right. and that way people can get, well, you know, you give one to a friend, you put one back, you smoke one, whatever. And it's like, well, people are upset about that. So it's like, there's no, there's just no, at some point, it's like, do you just make. Wait, it was ma- three a person? It was three. So it's on eBay right now. It, it could be. It probably is. It could be. For like 12 times the amount that you, you I don't charged know. for it. I, I, I'm not looking. Um, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, you know, it, 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 so it's just uh-huh. it's just damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh-huh. At, at the end of the day, we just try to make good tobacco and do the best we know to do. Do the best you can with it. All right. Well, there it is. <laughs> probably should have uh, had the whale song discussion at the beginning. I don't know. I, I considered the idea of doing a whale song episode on it to itself. Yeah. But given the fact it's no yeah. longer available, it just seemed like nah, it's not the right thing to do. Yeah. But anyway, but, um, obviously called whale song because of the um, swan song. Yeah. It, it. But it's, you know, the obviously the um the the logo McClellan right. had that beautiful shield uh, or, you know, with whale kind of jumping out of the uh, the ocean surrounded by the, the laurel leaves. Um, and, and you just think about this moaning whale. Um, and uh, when we came out with the name, everyone was like, oh, that's a really good name. And then everyone yep. did just what Bose is doing right now. They're like, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to provide ambiance. I just, that's what I was going for. All right, man. Well, <laughs> man. All yep. right. Anyway, so but we're, we're we were happy to happy happy it turned out like it did. Whales, tobacco, and paint, man. That's what Country Squire Radio about is this week. Hope y'all enjoyed this uh, kind of dive into Monet. We want to hear from y'all. Uh, you can always contact the show show at countrysquireradio.com. You can follow John David at John David Cole. You can follow the shop at underscore Country Squire or the show at Squire Radio. But all that information and more can be found at countrysquireradio.com. All right, man. This was a this was a good one. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I always enjoy going into the past, checking out these artists, interesting historical characters, and 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 sometimes fictional historical characters too, which uh, you know for me is just an interesting uh, thing to explore. And you know, occasionally they're pipe smokers. We got fun. we got some good some good ones, man. I'm I'm really excited for. Yeah. It. All right, man. Well, hey, let's go have a day. See you, brother. visit Arizona. Time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.